Hello and welcome to Our Three Cents, a podcast celebrating the very finest video games. My name is Jonathan Dunn and I am joined once again by my childhood friend, Chris Dow. Arsenal Football Club are having a stunning run of form. And my adulthood friend, Minty Booth. When I die, you'll be buried alive with me. And we're discussing our all-time top 100 video games. This week we have our number 80s. But before we do that, it is time for the quiz. A quiz? A quiz. A female quiz. <laughs> no, um, the score as it stands is back level, nine all, nine apiece. So we shall see whether or not one of you two can pull ahead. Sonic the Hedgehog. Oh no. Drove the Mega Drive to success. What is the name of the villain who is trying to collect Dr. Dr. Robotnik? Eggman. Chris got in there first and also with the correct answer. It is Dr. Robotnik. Congratulations, Chris. You have pulled ahead. Oh, Oh, this has been a long time coming. This has been like a a two-month project to get back on level (laughs) thing. So what have we been playing this week? Christopher, what have you been playing in this last span of seven days? (laughs) I've been bouncing between two different games. Uh, one that we've mentioned previously, I've still played a lot of uh, New Star Manager. And the more I've played it, like I've finished a couple seasons now, won both, obviously, promotion, here we come. But the, the more I've played it, I've kind of thought, like, why am I enjoying this so much? And I think a big part of it, not only because it's just a really quick, slick kind of uh, managerial game, but when I've tried to play games like Football Manager before, I don't have enough football knowledge to, to really get by. Mm. And as, as much as I follow the Premier League and I'm, I'm interested in football and I try and keep on top of kind of what's happening, you know, I, I don't have the kind of granular knowledge of players from kind of far-flung leagues to be able to say, okay, they're going to benefit my team. This is going to help. Yeah. And New Star Manager, not only are you obviously taking charge in kind of action segments where you're actually shooting and, and trying to score, but all the kind of backroom stuff is streamlined to the point where obviously they're not real players but it's as easy as saying they'll fit in there because they have the right badge. Yeah, absolutely. Or that person will do well there because their stats say they will. Yeah. And I, I like that kind of immediacy. Yeah. I agree on everything you've just said about that game and about football in general. <laughs> so, uh, yeah. And I've also been playing Konami Pixel Puzzle Collection. Ah, yes. Despite being a mouthful, it's basically just Konami Picross. And it's a really good, legitimately free-to-play game. Yeah. As far as I can see, like I've played 100 or something puzzles worth. There's no way of putting money into the app. And the only place there's any sort of like a, a wait timer or an energy timer is you have kind of boss puzzles, which are the standards multi-panel Picross puzzles like they are in the Jupiter games on the 3DS and the Switch. And you can only do a boss panel every few hours, like that timer refreshes. But even that, there's nothing to... I don't think there's any way to actually give the money to speed it up, even if you wanted to. Yeah, because I've been playing it as well after you, you suggested it. And it is, like you said, it is entirely free to play. But I must say the constant ads that pop up after you do every level even though they're just for konami games that you know it's it's nice to know that there's a remaster of castlevania symphony of the night coming out i i would happily give them 199 or 299 just to get rid of the ads i don't think i've seen a single ad on my version really maybe it's an ios thing only i mean i'm playing on my ipad well maybe it's not then yeah i've I've played hours worth and i've I've honestly not seen it yeah oh that's weird that's weird well there we go (laughs) (laughs) i've also played a little bit of both of those games this week but uh mainly my main game that i've been playing this week has been steam world quest which has just come out of the new image and oh, form yeah. game that I'm, i did it dropped recently yeah i mentioned it a couple of weeks ago when i was talking about steam world heist and i had it pre-ordered downloaded ready to play came out and playing it it is wonderful really lovely addition to the steam world the rpg mechanics of it the car battling system is fantastic really quite deep in terms of strategy you can play the game 
I mean, I think it would be impossible for two people to go through the game and play it the same way. Yeah. There's that much choice and that much customizability. It helps that it come out at a point where I've just been getting into playing the Dark Souls card game, tabletop game, and also just got the Bloodborne card game as well. So that way of playing with cards is is, is kind of ingrained in me at the moment. I'm really enjoying it. And uh, mm. yeah, it's fantastic. Really, really good writing. Really funny, as, as it has been with the other games. And... Yeah, just really nice to play. Really nice. So yeah, I'm having a great time with that. So is this essentially yet another genre that they've just knocked out of the park first go? Yep, absolutely. Absolutely. They've <laughs> just... I mean, it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but what it does do, it does really, really well. And it makes me more excited to play another SteamWorld game coming out than it would mm. be if I was now playing SteamWorld Dig 4. Yeah, they know what they're doing. They know what they're doing. Good robots. <laughs> the characters, not the people. I don't know them. Minty, what have you been playing this week? It's been a quiet week into, on the game front. I re-downloaded Magikarp Jump. Oh, that was... I had a great time <laughs> in Magikarp Jump, I must say. I lost all my progress because I swapped phones about a year ago and just never got back into it. But I've also, well, in the past, what, half hour, I've enjoyed some... Is it called... Cuffheed. <laughs> yep, it is a PH uh, F sound. Yeah, <laughs> you just got that there, Chris. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Cuffhead. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, it was fine. I guess. I mean, it... it's the first time I've played it co-op, and yeah. it was it was no easier, no harder than playing it single player. It's still punishingly hard. It, it makes me wonder. If it wasn't all completely hand-drawn and, and all that bump, would anybody have given it a second look? Mm, I don't know. That, that was kind of... That was most of the original buzz about it, wasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it did come out at a time when people were really enjoying games being hard. You know, mm. it, it again, it's a game that makes no bones about the fact that it's got some influence from Dark Souls in there. The big old, you mm. died coming up, obviously, every 12 seconds. Mm. Um <laughs> And yeah, so I think that that was probably a selling point for a lot of gamers was like, oh, it's brutally hard. And then people go, oh, yeah, I can do it then. Mm. But I think certainly the style of it does make it more interesting. And yeah, I'm not sure how much I'm going to persist with it. It's like the structure of it seems good. Yeah. Uh, nice, nice, fun little open world. And like the set pieces are bite sized enough so that you don't feel really cheated when you die yeah because you've only been playing it for what 43 seconds yeah exactly <laughs> and the nice thing is on all of the levels and on all of the bosses when you die it does show you how far through the level or far through the boss fight you've got to so you can at least feel a little bit of uh, optimism thinking oh okay well i got a bit further that time or you know okay another little push and i might be able to get over the next whatever mm. but um yeah we'll see for now it can um it can fuck right off <laughs> It's a it's a game I, I really want to play. Like I'm, I'm as always, I'm waiting for a physical release that was rumoured by the developers a, a few weeks back. I would like to play it, but I do wonder if I'll make any progress whatsoever because I am astonishingly bad at <laughs> almost all action games. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So moving on to the rankings. Starting this week, we have Chris. Please, can you tell us what your 80th favourite video game of all time is? My 80th favourite video game is a racing game. And it is from the PlayStation 2 era, but I think it also came out on the GameCube and the original Xbox. And it is Criterion's Fantastic Burnout 2. Ah! Burnout 2, great. Yeah, good game. So we've all played this one. This, this is a, a good 
I always enjoy it when we all know it. Burnout 2 is my pick, not because it's necessarily the best racing game in the world, but because it was the first Burnout game to add the crash mode, mm. which is the only reason I, I then went on to buy pretty much every Burnout game going forwards. And I think what's really interesting about that is like... I've read stories about when GoldenEye was being developed on the N64, where the four-player multiplayer was essentially just an addition they did in the last couple of days of development. Yeah. <laughs> um, that they, they just kind of chucked in, just seeing if it worked, and then by accident managed to change home console first-person shooters <laughs> for years. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure Crash Mode was like that as well, that it was something that was just chucked in really late on. And although it hasn't had the same kind of effect or like lineage in other games... It has gone from, or it went from being like a throwaway puzzle mode in Burnout 2 to essentially like a mainstay for the series right up until it finished. And I think it's notable that the final game that came out, even though Burnout is now kind of dead as a, as a franchise, was a top-down game for, I think, iOS and also like Xbox Live Arcade and things called Burnout Crash. That oh, okay. was like a purely puzzle game where you were just setting up like big chain reactions of crashes. But Burnout 2, as a game, is essentially just uh, an arcade racing game that is about driving badly but well, if, if that makes sense. So you're rewarded for being close to other races as you overtake them. You're rewarded for driving straight into oncoming traffic, Yeah. Um, for like drifting around intersections. Everything gives you more boost. And in the same way I mentioned with Excite Truck when we talked about that a few months back, you need to be boosting at every possible opportunity in order to be playing it right. The original Burnout, did you ever play that, like on the GameCube back when you... I don't, I don't think so. My only memory of Burnout is play, it, it has the crash mode in it, in my memory. Yeah, so, so it would, it it would have, have been, been two onwards. But the original, it was fine, but it was just, it was really, really stripped back to the point of feeling really, really threadbare. Like in the same way we talked, again, going right, right back when we said about Sega Rally being limited because it was just like a port of an arcade game. Mm. It was essentially like you had a few tracks, you had a few cars. Once you'd won everything, you'd won. There wasn't really anything left to do other than just get better in time trial. Yeah. And Burnout 2 was the first one that said, okay, we're going to just chuck in loads of events. We're going to have loads of variations on traditional racing. So kind of the, the classic like hot laps or kind of being far enough ahead that the last person's eliminated or whatever. As well as adding, as I mentioned, the crash mode. Like The biggest draw for me was this idea of the crash mode. And what it is, if, you, if you've never played a Burnout game, is essentially there is like a busy intersection and you just start at a point and have to just cause as much havoc as possible <laughs> with your rating essentially being connected by how much monetary damage you either do to other vehicles or just the whole surrounding area, like kind of street furniture, like uh, lampposts and whatever. And although it got better and better, this mode kind of in later games, I have such like fond memories of playing this first one. This is why I kind of chose two as my, my favourite and it's something that I think defines the character of their series going forward. It's like crashing got more and more important. So later games, you, you could kind of nudge other racers to kind of take them down in, in a race and also get boost for that. And it even kind of fed through when Criterion did a few of the Need for Speed games in like the early 2010s, I think. They didn't have the crash mode per se, but they, they retained a lot of that kind of nudging other cars and the kind of slow motion cameras, cars wheel into the distance and whatever. Playing it again not that long ago, like in the, in the last few months playing Burnout 2 on the PS2, it's still really really fun and even though it looks its age like it hasn't aged brilliantly just because of the, the the era it was being made it still feels really snappy it's responsive it's like a, a 60 frames per second game even back then and the collisions still feel really impactful like playing the playing the crash mode is just as fun even though it's kind of uh, a limited version compared to what they would do later and i think a big part of it is they did a lot with their sound design back then like it, it looked fine for its time like i said but the sound, it added a lot of things. Like when you were boosting, you'd get kind of like all the music would muffle behind you to kind of, you know, really push this idea that you're speeding along. And it's little things like that that I think has appeared in a lot of games since that it kind of had a lot of 
influence over the way we we sort of play arcade races when they were still relevant because it's it's a genre that sort of died a lot these days really yeah and I, I was kind of disappointed like there's a game that's just come out recently called I think it's called Dangerous Driving uh, which is basically like a spiritual sequel to the Burnout series so a lot of the original developers have, have formed a new kind of independent team and although although it has like the racing of Burnout it doesn't have a crash mode and that basically just took all the interest I had in it away. I imagine it probably did for most people, that. Yeah, it was it was a huge part of it. And it's not to say it won't come back in the future. I'm, I'm sure if this kind of does well or reasonably well as a franchise, they might reintroduce something similar. But yeah, just for me, Burnout was about crashing. And <laughs> yeah. Burnout, 2, Burnout 2 was the first time you could make a big, big mess with your car. <laughs> <laughs> So, yeah, that's my, my 80th favourite video game. It's Burnout 2. Fantastic. Moving on, creme de month. What is your 80th favourite video game? <laughs> my 80th favourite video game. Get out your party poppers. Get out your indoor sparklers. Get out those sort of papery things that you blow and they go... <laughs> that's a good impression. He's got one right here. He, he didn't. Because this is a game... That you haven't played. That I've completed. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah, I completed this game. About 10 years ago. <laughs> it is a game on the Nintendo DS. Oh, This is a little bit of a side story, but funny. I'll be the judge of that. Yeah, yeah. As I was uh, first in Woolworths, looking at the Nintendo DS in, what, 2000 and... What would it have been? 2004, 2005, maybe? No, it must have been earlier than that. I remember having one in... You, you got yours imported. Yeah, you imported it. So you were probably... Slightly early, yeah, than the, than the Western release. But yeah, it would have been sixth form. Yeah, definitely. I mean, he's not, not that much younger. Mm. I remember because because all, all the girls in the sixth form were flocking around me. Oh, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Jonathan, can I play on Super Mario sixty four DS? That was just the year seven boys, <laughs> um, which, which which to be fair is significantly more accurate. <laughs> No. <laughs> but yes, I was in Woolworths. I pried myself away from the pick and mix for long enough to look at the DS. And uh, there were two gentlemen stood next to me. And I heard them heard one say to the other, what does, what does DS stand for? And the other guy said, well, it stands for district service. <laughs> that was my story. Thank you, um, <laughs> idiots that was stood next to me in Woolworths all those years ago. So you know how the, it had two screens, didn't it? Yeah. And it came with a pencil that didn't write on anything but the screen. Mm. Only the bottom one. In, in most instances, that was just, uh, okay, well, it has this, so maybe one day somebody will use it. But this, I think, was the first really sort of high-profile game that really sort of took that, that plucky little pencil <laughs> and gave it a sense of purpose. This used that stylus in a way that was integral. The basic premise of the game was you were a young boy with a bit of paper and a dream. And the dream was rescuing your friend who had been kidnapped and possibly turned to stone. You'd have this piece of paper and you could draw on it. You could take notes. That was that was great. Loved taking notes because you could use that to sort of give you little reminders of uh, where a treasure chest might be. Um, how to solve a puzzle if there was a riddle nearby. Uh, but more crucially, you would use the stylus to um, to tap the little boy, sort of just draw a line over the said little boy, and he would move where you drew the line. And you could also use that stylus to draw a line next to the little boy, and he would attack uh, whatever was drawn on that line. 
There was also one point where you had to make a, make some kind of like rubbing. Do you remember rubbings? Where you'd, uh, you'd yep. put some paper over a coin, a little bit of charcoal, mm. and you'd have a perfect copy of the coin. And then you could spend that on blackjacks and fruit salads. Good. But the way that the <laughs> DS utilized it, as well as the pencil, you would close it because it was a clamshell, wasn't it? Yes. It was like, it was like playing games on a scallop. <laughs> But uh, you would close it and you'd open it up and then you'd have a rubbing or an etching and that would be the puzzle. And you'd be like, oh, okay, that's cool because that uses the hardware. So yeah, with all that in mind, it makes for a very fun, gentle exploration game where the stakes are quite high. Your friend turned out to be a fish. Hate it when that happens. Yeah. It's just inconvenient more than anything else. Yeah. Like, how do you fit them into the table plan at your wedding? Exactly. And you make all <laughs> these arrangements because you think they've got asthma, but they just can't breathe on land. <laughs> Wasted so much money on Ventolin. (laughs) (laughs) So your fishy friends has a really deep house and you could only get so far as you get to different points in the game. So you would keep going back to his house and getting a little bit deeper and then you'd find another page to your notebook or whatever it was, a little bit of paper, which would allow you to go somewhere else. So you would keep going down, you would keep going down and you'd fight off the monster and then he would be like, thank you, I'm back off to the ocean now that you've um, got rid of this funny monster in my cellar. Uh, it's The Legend of Zelda Phantom Hourglass. It's a, it's a great basement fish game. It's up there, certainly <laughs> in my favourite basement fish games. Yeah. I remember when this game came out and Nintendo said, yeah, so we've got done a Zelda game and you control it entirely with a touchscreen. And I was like, why would you do that? Yeah. That's really annoying because, you know, you don't need to do that. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. But in their defense, it did work very well. It worked very, very well. I don't think it worked as well as being able to control a game normally, or maybe it's just because (laughs) that was unfamiliar. But I did like some of the quirks that they introduced, like having to plot your chart for your boat on the sea. And Mm. Because I'm a Zelda heathen, is this the one that's tangentially connected to Wind Waker? Yes. It is, yes. Yes. And the other DS one, the one with the train, Link and the Choo Choo's. Spirit Tracks. Is that one connected to anything or is that its own thing? I think you could call it like the third Wind Waker game because it does have sort of Lemonhead Link. The only game that's really tried to put them all together is Hyrule Warriors, isn't it? Yeah, which did it brilliantly. In terms of having a... It does actually, yeah. It really, really well, yeah. I mean, to the point where the developers have always said, like, look, like like when they crowbarred in the Zelda timeline into the Hyrule Historia, which is... Yeah. I mean, tenuous at best. Okay. It's ridiculous. It doesn't, and it doesn't need to be. Is the thing. It doesn't. There doesn't need to be a timeline. You just go. Well, yeah, these aren't all taking place in the same world. They're just different versions of the same story. Recently, I was asked on Twitter what I thought would be the best order to play the Zelda games in, and I did manage to kind of group certain games together which had either similar art styles or similar sort of thematic elements and yeah i would have put wind waker and a phantom hourglass and spirit tracks together in a little in a little trio the same way that i put ocarina of time majora's mask and twilight princess in a little trio as well I think there's a few Zelda games that were quite underrated. The ones that... Stuff like Phantom Hourglass and Spirit Tracks, which people don't talk about as much. Or like the Minish Cap on the Game Boy Advance that they don't talk about as mm. much as they talk about, you know, the big the big console release ones. But um, I think they were superb. Hmm. It's a shame for reasons we may get into in the coming months. Do you mean to say that this is not the only Zelda game in your top 100? I... Or... It's a superb game. and uh, It is, it is. I, I know, that's what I just said. <laughs> I would... <laughs> 
I would very much like it if after they've done a remake of Link's Awakening on the Switch, it would be nice if they then actually remade... Well, I, I mean, I'd love it if they remade like the Oracle of Ages, Oracle of Seasons games, although they still play brilliantly as they are. But it'd be nice to see stuff like Phantom Hourglass, Spirit Tracks, Minish Cap oh, revisited Minish Cap. and made available to, a, uh, to another audience. That'd be lovely. That'd be lovely. But um, we shall see. We shall see. But thank you, Minty, for bringing... Thank you for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. <laughs> Lastly, we have my game. Now... My 80th favourite video game is a game that I first saw being played by a certain strawberry blonde haired cherub of the age of 11 years old. Christopher Dow. Weirdly, no, it was a boy I was watching through my window this morning. No, I'm kidding. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. This straight away says that it will be on the Game Boy. <laughs> that is correct. It was a game that you were playing on the Game Boy in our form room in year seven. And there was a couple of games that you had that made me get excited about a Game Boy again. Because I didn't really have any other friends that had Game Boys, I was just like, oh, well, you know, it's fine, whatever. Like, But you had a Game Boy Color. I did. And this was a game that was a Game Boy Color game, but that was also one of those games that was on the black cartridge instead of the clear cartridge, which meant that you could like play the hybrid it. ones, yeah. Yeah, the meant you could play it on the Game Boy. And I didn't have a Game Boy Color at that point, but I certainly did have a classic Game Boy, and I wanted to play the game nonetheless. And so I went and got the game, and that game was Harvest Moon. Harvest oh Moon. dear, I wasn't expecting that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's a strange, it's a strange one because games like that, obviously to play, you you find the appeal in it, but to look at, you know, there must have been something quite wrong with me that an eleven year old boy looked at a small black and white man picking turnips and went, "I need that." <laughs> but <laughs> lo and behold, that man was me. It was my first sort of foray into that sort of life sim an interest that you know has since spanned into other games such as animal crossing and stardew valley uh, but that all came back to the first very first uh, harvest moon game and there was something i really liked about it i mean i loved the i loved the process i loved the fact that you know you could plant things and the seasons would change and you could raise animals and it was just very very quaint it was very quaint it was very simple very straightforward you essentially just did the same thing over and over again mm. i really enjoyed it i loved growing mushrooms in the cave or whatever it was and Weirdly, I mean, I bought other Harvest Moon games since then, and I've never found them quite as enjoyable as that original one, which is weird because they did a lot more and a lot, and they were definitely a lot better. I've often had the mentality of, you know, certainly when I've had simple games that when they've then added more in, I thought, actually, no, I, I don't. That's too complicated now. There's too many things to think about. And I was like, no, I like just picking my turnips, growing my cows, you know, and <laughs> watering my cows, exactly, watering my cows, brushing my sheep and building an extension to my house. And that was enough for me. And I loved it. Did the original one on the Game Boy have a storyline or was it purely just make your farm good? There was a very, very vague storyline. <laughs> so the setup was you are given your grandfather's farm or something. Mm. And then you do at the end of each year get a, a rating by the harvest goddess or something like that and there were certain things you could do so that you could essentially complete the game so if you got like a perfect harvest goddess rating at the end of a year then you got some i don't know golden 
carrot or something. I don't know. <laughs> it meant that you had to like fish a hundred times a season and ship X amount of crops, 10 crops, raise so many cows or whatever. And then you would uh, become this perfect farmer. But I, I never did that. It was fun. It was a really fun little game. And it was also a game which felt like there was enough to do to make that possible. I yeah. guess, you know, there was there was enough depth to it, even though it was doing the same sort of action. Yeah. It felt like a big old world in a very small cartridge. It did, yeah. And it, it was probably, it's one of the first ones I remember playing and thinking like about the scale of it all. Yeah. E- even like I remember playing Link's Awakening about, about the same time alongside you. Yeah. You know, it, it had a large enough map, but it, it still didn't feel like it was as infinite because Harvest Moon was like customizing your own farm and that that kind of made it feel like there was more depth to it than like a set story yeah and I think it's it's interesting because a lot of us have become quite used to those sorts of games running in real time it's certainly like Animal Crossing but even even like some of the Pokemon games that have day to night cycles and you have to do certain things at certain times a day but Harvest Moon didn't have that you could just play day after day after day after day and that's always quite addictive because, you know, whereas something like Animal Crossing, one of the wonderful things about it is the fact that you can go, right, I've pretty much done all I can do for today. You know, I've gone and got all the shells off the sea and I've caught some bugs and, you know, I've looked at the shops and everything and, yeah, I could I could potter around for a bit, but, you know, I'll just pop it down and I'll check back in tomorrow and see how everything's going. Whereas, obviously, with Harvest Moon, you can be like, okay, cool, I've, got, I've done what I need to do for today now let's go tomorrow and carry on and carry on and carry on and carry on (laughs) but it also i mean partly probably because we were young and everything kind of seemed longer and bigger then but it it felt like the seasons in the game went on forever and it was such a momentous occasion when you know the season would change and you'd have different crops and it would start to snow or you know and all that sort of stuff and it was just yeah it was just lovely it was very simple and very pure when when i first got my game of color i got it for christmas around that time Mm. Uh, and i remember asking for a game with colour specifically because I'd seen screenshots of Warrior Land 2. Oh, yeah. And I already had a cartridge of Warrior Land 2, but I had the, the regular Game Boy version because it was one that had a re-release as a, as a hybrid cart. So I remember putting it in and being thoroughly disappointed on Christmas morning that there was no beautiful colour in my Warrior Land. I did exactly the same thing. But I was like that with Link's Awakening as well, because I didn't realise that Link's yeah. Awakening DX had been re-released. And I was like, well, this sort of sort of looks like the pictures I've seen, but ooh, not really. <laughs> it's all just different shades of red. <laughs> yeah, but then I was colourblind, so well, I still am. So it could have been, been anything. Could have been anything. But I remember being so excited about getting a Game Boy Color. I remember, you know, being that age and looking at the Argos catalogue and just circling, you know, the Game Boy Color in there and being like, oh, you know, I, I, I can't wait, can't wait to get that. And I had to wait until like my birthday, my next birthday, which was then when we were in year eight. Yeah. And then I finally got a Game Boy Color. And uh, the rest is, um, well, sort of history, but, you know, till we get to now when it's present. <laughs> Birthday present. So there we have it. Another eclectic trio of games. Certainly three games that I reckon have not been said or talked about in the same sentence before. First of all, we had... Burnout 2. Then... The Legend of Zelda colon... Phantom Hourglass. And finally, we had Harvest Moon on the Game Boy. If you've enjoyed this episode, or if you have enjoyed any of the episodes that we've done so far, please do make sure you like and subscribe, share it with your friends, share it on social media, tell your friends, get other people to listen, give us a five-star rating, because that will help encourage us and make us feel 
good about ourselves on otherwise dreary days. In the meantime, if you want to get in touch with us, you can. You can find us on Facebook if you search for Our Three Cents, or you can reach out to us individually on Twitter. I am at Jonathan Dunn. I am at Chaz underscore Hodges. I am at Minty Booth. At Minty Booth. And please do join us next week where we are moving into the 70s. So grab on your flares and gear up for the 79th favourite video games of all time. Grab on your flares. (laughs) (laughs) What? (laughs) Oh, boy.